Welcome to Cardboard Conjecture. We're a podcast about board games where we have opinions and conclusions formed on the basis of incomplete information. This episode of Cardboard Conjecture is brought to you by these great Saskatoon businesses. Amazing Stories Comics on 8th Street, Dragon's Den Games on 8th Street, and Breakout Escape Rooms on Faithful Avenue. Well, hello there. Welcome. How's it going, eh? I'm Norm, and this is What You've Been Playing Wednesday, a special weekly episode that's a compilation of our thoughts on recently played board games. And contributing to this episode are Of Dyson Men, Board on the Air, Friday Night Games, Board and Games with Andrew B., Metal Meeples and Beer, and Cardboard Conjecture. And if you want to know more about these contributors, check out the links in the show notes. Hey everyone, Chad here from Of Dice and Men, the board game podcast and Twitch stream, where we talk about board games, the people who play them, and the culture surrounding the hobby. Today on the What You've Been Playing Wednesdays show, I'm going to talk about a game that's consumed most of my free time lately, Tainted Grail, published by Awaken Realms. Tainted Grail is a narrative adventure game that has players controlling outcast characters left to discover where their mentors suddenly left to leaving their meager village to fend for itself from the encroaching darkness referred to as the Weird, with a Y. Armed with your wits and nothing other than a character-specific goodbye note to go on, you disembark to find answers before the men here statue in your village is extinguished, since it seems to be the only thing that can defend the villagers from the ever-present danger of the mist. After some survival actions, mainly hunting for food, you find a few clues that point you in a few different directions, decide on a plan of attack, and do your best to push forward. The game's mechanics mostly consist of a mixture of map exploration from 7th Continent and deck construction that allows you to deal with both combat and diplomatic challenges using a unique card-chaining mechanic. Tainted Grail is so far centered around these table-view-obscuring large miniature statues called Menhirs, which, when activated, repel the weird mist and allow your characters to explore the eight adjacent card tiles, which turns a lot of the game into the find the statue and appease it. It's actually a lot more fun than you expect, giving the exploration a nice concrete short-term goal. The narrative is centered around a darker alt Camelot, bringing in the Knights of the Round and mixing in a good amount of evil folklore, painting the picture of a Camelot that's fallen from grace and has been abandoned by its leadership. Throughout the 15 chapters of the base game, you slowly learn what happened to the ones in charge while helping those who have been left behind survive and thrive in their land under siege by dark forces. The game would probably earn a TV MA rating if it was turned into a TV series. Overall, I really like Tainted Grail, but I do want to talk about the first impressions, because the game was dangerously close to losing me after the first few hours of play. Chapter 1 in Tainted Grail is rough. The game does a good job of not so subtly nudging you in the right direction for the first play, stopping just shy of telling you what exactly you should be doing each turn, but then immediately stops and leaves you to the will of the narrative. Without going into too much detail, The game basically tells you at the end of the first round that there's three different cards you can travel to to complete your first quest. Once you arrive at one of the three cards, you do the same thing you do any other time you explore a location. Open up a very large coil-bound book and look at the 187 square inches of paper containing the narrative for that location. As a side note, I'm somewhat glad I got my copy of Tainted Grail late, having been too cheap to pay for shipping twice from the Kickstarter, because that allowed Awaken Realms extra time to make a narrative app for the game, rendering the weighty 200-plus page book obsolete, and I'd never advise playing with it unless you have a dedicated narrator and the table space for it. Anyways, my complaint isn't necessarily with the exploration process itself, but rather the fact that in Chapter 1 of Tainted Grill, the game basically asks you to run into the exploration choose-your-own-adventure process several times until you get the result you want. Using the app, you can make a few choices, which, if you're lucky and pick the right ones, even though it might be against what you want your character to do, may eventually ask you to test a stat that you undoubtedly are bad at because you had no idea you needed to test it, and when you fail, it gives you no indication whatsoever as to whether you're on the right path and just unlucky or completely off base. 
It took me three separate plays of chapter one, with both of my characters expiring the first few times after catching the plague or getting lost in gigantic moving burial mounds, before I just happened to stumble onto one of the other three solutions of the quest while grinding for the items and stats I thought I needed to proceed. I didn't really enjoy that experience, as it more or less came down to blind luck or being in the right place at the right time, rather than any attempt at deduction or proper exploring. Luckily, I've since played chapters 2 and 3, and the game opens up a lot more. I'm excited to see where the story takes my two poor outcast characters. One thing I really appreciated about Tainted Grail is their deck construction system. You start with a base deck of ability cards that pertain to your character's class, for lack of a better term, and as you play the game, you gain experience and are able to spend that experience to either increase your attributes or to get more powerful cards to place into either your combat or diplomacy decks, not unlike Arkham Horror the card game. And just like Arkham Horror, I love the personality that this particular mechanic allows you to express with your character. You can choose cards that are more aggressive or better at sneaking, or you can get defensive with it while your partner in crime specializes in big hits. All things that allow you to customize your experience more than a standard dungeon crawl, where generally you just get different colored dice to throw. Other than that, Tainted Grail is pretty basic as far as games go, and that's actually a good thing. It could have got really complicated with some of the systems and ideas that they've added to the game, but instead of Wiccan Realms has done a great job of keeping things simple and approachable, allowing players to focus on the strong points of the experience, the exploration, and the narrative. As an example, there's really only one kind of token in the game, a simple red cube, and it's used for tracking health, energy, terror, experience, wealth, food, and pretty much everything else in the game. I can name about a dozen other Kickstarters that would have had custom tokens for each, but instead, the more simple approach makes stat tracking less of a nuisance and opens up each player's mental space for focusing on the quest at hand. Tainted Grail is definitely a game I can recommend you try out, although the hefty price tag and relative unavailability might make it hard for those of you who don't have a friend who backed the Kickstarter so many years ago. It's actually got me a bit concerned about next year's 7th Citadel. I'm not sure what they're going to be able to do new or differently compared to Tainted Grail, although I'm sure both games will be outstanding. Heck, by the time 7th Citadel comes out, I might have finished the main and the two stretch goal campaigns that Tainted Grail came with. You can catch up with my band of misfits when I play on Twitch pretty much every day of the week except Friday and Saturday, and catch your podcast every two weeks-ish on your favorite podcast catcher. Last week we talked about games we disliked at first but grew to enjoy, and Tainted Grail would have definitely fit that mold if I had played it a week earlier. Until next time! Hi, I'm David. And I'm Shay. And we are Board on the Air. We are a weekly radio show on CFCR in Saskatoon. And you can find us on all of your local podcast sites. Or non-local. All podcast apps. Yeah, let's do that. All podcast apps. Podcast apps. Yep. You can find us there. Board on the Air. Yes. Us of almost 90 episodes now. Are we that close? We are very close tonight. Excellent. Uh, this is What Have You Been Playing? You've decided I, to say it properly now? No, I still didn't say it properly. Hey, I missed last week. Did you guys miss me? I don't think they did. No? Oh, it, darn. It was riveting, me and Jordan. Well, you can have him back next week if you want. And his one-word answers. <laughs> <laughs> okay, what have we been playing? We played a classic game to start Felduary. Something I don't think is a real thing. It is totally a real thing. Mm. We played Castles of Burgundy. But we played it with a twist. Yeah, we played the partner edition of Castles of Burgundy, so not... Wait, is that anything like team edition? Well, I, you set it up. I, you called it the partner edition, so that's what I thought <laughs> it was. Anyway, team edition of Castles of Burgundy, uh, which was really neat because it was the first time I think I've ever played a game that it wasn't a cooperative mode necessarily. It was partial cooperative, right? Because you're working yeah, it's with another person. But you're also going against other people. It's 2v2 type thing. Yeah. So you basically you still have your own board per se, but they go together and make one big board. Yeah. You have a this, the same style of board, but they connect. Yeah. Some of the things only you can access, mainly where you can build from, but the rest of it is your group board. Yeah. So you have six places to pull your uh, the tiles from the board into your duchy. Two of them... One person can access, two of them the other person can access, and two that you both can access. Yeah. So in 
theory, you have one extra spot taxes. Uh, and first turn, you alternate uh, team A, team B, team A, team B. And then after that, the you just use the vote track like normal. Mm -hmm. uh, it really is playing Castles of Burgundy normal, but you're just sharing a board. Yeah, you're, you're just working with the person saying like, hey, I'm, I'm going to take something. What do you think I should take? Or if I play this, then you can play that, and then I can play this on my next turn type thing, right? Yeah, and you really, you're setting up combos amongst your own team as well. Yeah, exactly. Uh, the neat thing is that instead of, you know, the four green or four castle spots, you now have eight. Yep. Right? And everything is just double. You, you basically have double of everything. Uh, so it was me and Shay. Yep. Versus Miss Board on the Air <laughs> and Jordan. Uh-huh. And they... I would say they dominated the... the, the during the game scoring? During the game yeah, scoring. absolutely. I'd say there were some times where we got a bit of a, a bit ahead, but for the most part, they were in front of us the entire game. Yeah, and, and about the end of the game, they were, I would say, 30, 40 points up I think us. they were half a board away from at, us. At least, yeah. yeah, almost 50 points ahead. But we had every yellow scoring tile we could possibly get other than two two yeah i think we missed two of them we missed two of them so we ended up with probably close to 80 points in end game scoring yeah we just kept adding up adding up <laughs> adding up adding up uh which like we won right that's what that's what we're getting at we won yeah well we, we're not bragging yeah <laughs> but we did crush them we we did end up crushing them it, it was you know, for a team-based game, probably the most fun I've had playing... Yeah, I had a blast. Uh, ...a game in a long time. And we love Castles of Burgundy, mm -hmm. and this took it to another level of enjoyment for me. Yeah, I, I had so much fun, honestly, with me and you trying to figure stuff out. Because the thing is, uh, Mom, Mel, and Jordan both are really good at the game, I'd say. They're, they're um, both solid players. They're, they're solid players, and they're, you know, they think out their turns a bunch in advance. And me and Dad just kind of stumble our way yeah, uh, but, around. But between the two of us, we sort of winged it the entire time. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> we were like, what looks good now? Where, where they had these continuous strategy sessions before they started each round yeah. and knew exactly what they were doing. We were like, hey, I like that one. Yeah, why don't we take that? <laughs> oh, you took that one? That's a nice one. So it was, I would say it was very, two very distinctly different styles of playing the game. Absolutely, yeah. And I wouldn't say we got lucky by getting all the yellows that we got, because they had all the, you know, the game breaker ones, all the yeah. bonus yellow ones, so they would take a guy and get an extra two guys, yeah. or stuff like that. It was, it really, really changed the game a little bit mm -hmm. in just having that extra set of eyes to see what was on the board. Yeah, and also to see what was on our board. Because there were things where I'm like, oh, I forgot I had that one. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I thought it was super fun. I would definitely play it again uh, in that way. Because, I mean, we already play castles a ton. Yep. So yeah. yeah, I thought they did a good job on it. Yeah, and our plan is to start Felduary with castles and end Felduary with castles. Yes, your plan. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. ours. Yeah, your plan. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Uh -huh. <laughs> the Stevenson household's plan. Uh, so that is what have we been playing. Yes. Uh, I'm David. And I'm Shay. And once more, we are Bored on the Air, and you can find us on all of the, your favorite podcast sites. Have a good night. Talk to you next week. It's Rob and Anna Marie. Hello. From Metal Meeples and Beer. Again, we're talking to you this week uh, in the What You've Been Playing Wednesdays podcast. Uh, I think this is the fifth week in a row we've been doing this, and it's been loads of fun. Uh, this week, we're going to be talking about two games. One uh, in particular to start with. Let's start with The Crew, uh, the quest for Planet Nine from Cosmos Games, designed by Thomas Singh. Um, it's a co op game. Uh, it's it, technically three to five players but there's a two-player variant which we've been playing which i'll talk about uh and it's yeah it's about 20 minutes per scenario uh this is a trick-taking game but it's not just an ordinary trick-taking game uh they use trick-taking as the the main mechanic of the game 
but you're actually working through a 50 scenario storyline as you're searching for this planet that may or may not exist at the edge of our solar system the the ninth planet that they're uh, they they think is out there but we're we're all jumping in a spaceship and and heading out there in search of this this uh, planet and along the way we run into all these different troubles and and things start to break on your ship and you get hit by asteroids and the game asks you to complete uh tricks in order to simulate uh fixing certain things things like that right yeah yeah, so it's like, uh, it'll say, you need to complete four tricks uh, for this uh, scenario to simulate fixing the the engines, uh, but you have to complete them in a certain order, or you have to complete them uh, without using communication, some and things like Some people have to, like, I'll have to complete some, and you'll have to complete yeah, some. Yeah, that's right, because at the beginning of each round, you, you divvy up who gets to do which, uh who needs to 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 complete each different trick um because it'll lay out uh you know four different numbers and i need to to complete a trick with the yellow five and you need to complete one with the red six and so forth but in the two-player variant which is really really cool they introduced jarvis the ai system uh to simulate a third player and the 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 jarvis ai is actually controlled by whoever is the current captain of the ship so they get to decide what cards jarvis uh, gets to play and and such and yeah you're not supposed to talk to each other in this either you're using um, these uh, tokens that kind of simulate communication between us right yeah and yeah so it you can if I lay a card on the table I can put a token on it saying that this yellow seven is my highest yellow card my lowest yellow card or my only yellow card and that's the only information we can share and you you can't do that in all scenarios either right. the rule book might say okay well this scenario you can't communicate or only one person can can communicate exactly and it kind of throws in different little wrenches for for the yeah. different scenarios yeah and every single scenario is completely different than the last and you actually feel like you're in like a fight for your life sometimes while you're trying to fix certain systems get them back online and then uh, it actually gauges us at how well we did uh, as uh, if you've completed the scenario on your first try or not, right? Which is kind of cool. So you're logging it in the logbook and stuff. And yeah, at the end of the day, uh, the crew, the quest for Planet Nine is an amazing game, and yeah. it's only a fifteen dollar game, uh, which to me just blows my mind. It's in a tiny box. It's not big. It's just a couple decks of cards, really, and a couple tokens, but just a huge game. Uh, I like, yeah. Um, yeah, I like that you, uh, the increasing difficulty, like yeah. as the scenarios go on, it gets more difficult. Yeah. Each one gets tougher and tougher. And I like that I attempt to be telepathic. Yeah. Like I sit there and I'm like, play blue, play right? blue. Please, and please <laughs> play blue. But then I don't and I play yeah. red and you scoff at me. And... Or you do play blue. Yeah. Yes, he heard me. <laughs> yeah. He knew. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, generally, I feel like we play the right, you know, we're yeah. kind of on the same wavelength, but it's, it is tough. It's a tough game. But yeah, I think it's safe to say we both really enjoy this game. Definitely. We're about a third of the way or so through the through the campaign, and uh, yeah, we're going to see it through to the end. Uh, the second game, we're, we're losing time here. The second game we were on to talk about was Trogdor, uh, a co-op game from Board Electrics, uh, designed by the Brothers Chaps and James Ernest. Tell us about it. Yeah, Trogdor, they've absolutely, like, you talk about a game that's rich in theme. <laughs> they have absolutely nailed the theme of this game. It is hilarious. It's hilarious. Yes. You're a dragon, Trogdor, mm -hmm. and you're going around burninating. He's a dragon, <laughs> and he's a man. And you're burninating the countryside, burninating. peasants, and cottages. Yeah. <laughs> and, you know, chomping peasants, like, eating them gives Trogdor health. Yeah. And uh, peasants and knights, they can unburninate tiles and cottages during yep. their movement. Um, this game is meant just purely to be enjoyed. Like, even if Trogdor loses, he has a last-ditch effort to burninate as much as he can. Yes. And, you know, one of my favorite parts of the game is the rulebook. I, uh, right. I found it hilarious. I was reading the rulebook and laughing, and it just they it just shows how light they want the game to be and how, oh, yes. how much fun they want you to have it's with it. It's very self-aware, and it doesn't take itself seriously in the slightest. No. No. And it's it's like a it's a one to six player game, and a lot of times I find with um, that type of player count where it's like one to six, mm -hmm. you're going to be having weak games, like whether the one player is weak or the six player sure. is weak. 
I can, like, this would be a great one-player game. I haven't played it one-player yet, but it would play the same. It would just oh, yeah, be totally su- super fun. Yeah. But then we play, we've played with four, and it was fun. And the turns go really quickly, so even playing at six-player, you just have more people and more laughing in it. I think it would just be fantastic. Yeah, and to be clear, like, it's a co-op game, and we're all taking turns controlling Trogdor. Like, our whole point is to burninate the countryside yeah. <laughs> or eat all the peasants or burn all, all the these, cottages. Burn the cottages down. Yeah, it's just a hilarious uh, thematic dragon yeah. game. Um, and I love that they actually included uh, an online soundtrack. Right. That you can go onto their website and you can click the button and it plays the music or does all these funny sound effects in the background. It's got great little painted minis as well. Yes. Uh, the production value is super high for a game. Of it this. totally enhances it. Oh, yeah. Of yeah. a game that you don't take seriously. It's got a really, really great production. Uh, the art and everything. Um, yeah, it's hilarious. Um, and a very self-aware, ridiculous game. Yeah. <laughs> but we both enjoy it. The family loves it. The kids go crazy about it. They listen to the music and laugh they sing it. all and the laugh time. And, yeah. And, yeah, it's hilarious. Um, so, yeah, big thumbs up for the crew. Big thumbs up for Trogdor. Uh, we're out of time. This has been Rob and Anna Marie. See you later. See you later. Uh, instead of <laughs> hello uh, from Metal Meeples and Beer, you can get us on Twitter, Metal Meeple Beer, and YouTube for unboxings and reviews and such things. And we'll see you next week. Cheers. See ya. Hey there, this is Ian from the Cardboard Conjecture Podcast. The game that I've been playing this week is a legacy game, a brand new legacy game from famed designer Reiner Knizia called My City. It just came out this past year. My City is a game where you are building a city, as the title would suggest, and In this city, you have buildings that are all shaped with basically Tetris pieces, different types of Tetris pieces. And you're trying to fit them into the board as best you can, trying to work around trees and landscapes and filling up as much space as possible. There's lots of these types of games out there. Patchwork is probably the uh, most popular one at the moment. But this one's got a bit of a legacy aspect to it. And the way that it works is you have... 24 games all together and they're in groups of three which are called chapters and so I've only played the first chapter so far my wife and I decided that since we're really the only ones who can play board games right now because we can't invite people over due to the quarantine restrictions that we thought this would be a good thing to do is go through this legacy game together so it works really well with two I don't based on the rules I don't see how It's that much different from a three or four player game. And it's really quite quick and easy. Honestly, when I started playing it, it was, we were both kind of taken aback by how straightforward the gameplay was. And one game is like under half an hour. It's not very long at all. So it's easy to knock out a series of three games in one sitting, in one go. And it seemed like it was going to be too simple, if I'll be perfectly honest, when we started playing it. The way it works is you flip over a card, and that card shows the building that you've got to put out on your board. That is it. But there's things you got to work around. You have to try to cover up rock spaces, not cover up tree spaces, and you get points depending on how well you've filled your spaces. And each game, as you would imagine in Legacy, adds a little bit more and a little bit more. And you customize your board a little bit. And it actually is a pretty interesting challenge. The The play is very straightforward. Flip over a card, put down a building. That is all you do until basically all the buildings are out. But the challenge is interesting, as you'll see when you start playing it. It's not the same thing every time because new challenges are going to be added. New things you want to do with your city and do with your board. So we're only three games in so far, but I'm excited to keep it going. It's definitely on the lower complexity scale. I really don't think it's going to turn into Terra Mystica or anything too crazy, even though I know that they're going to be adding some stuff. Uh, I'm excited to see where it goes. So that's my city. And this is Ian.
Hi, this is Andrew Buckle of BoardingGame.com, and I'm here to talk about what I've been playing this week. This week, I'm going to talk about Steamworks, which is a 2015 release designed by Alex Churchill, illustrated by Adam P. McIver and Oliver Minerdine, and published by Tasty Minstrel Games. I've been playing this one with my local group on Board Game Arena, and the implementation of it there is really nice. In Steamworks, you play Victorian-era inventors and tinkerers, and you're building new machines out of components and power sources, and then using your own machines and using other people's machines in order to get points. This is a worker placement game, but it's got a couple of interesting twists. One is that while it starts with a few worker placement locations on your own player board, over the course of the game, you build more and more potential spots to activate in the form of new inventions. So it's an engine building game where you're literally building engines, and I happen to think that's quite fun. New machines require at least one power source, which can be clockwork, steam, or electrical, and then they also require at least one component, but sometimes more, which can be connected to those sources. Not all components can be connected to all sources, and some components have different effects depending on what kind of source you connect them to. There are also a couple of further interesting twists to this. One is that every component you build into your machine is going to be worth a point for you at the end of the game, so it's helpful to build machines. But then you also get a clock, which is both a victory point and part of the game timer whenever someone else goes to one of your machines. So you're not just building machines for yourself, you're building machines that hopefully will be useful both for you and for other people so that they'll come use your machines and give you victory points in the process. As for what the components do, some of them let you take more power sources from the supply, while others let you grab more components off of the conveyor belts. Others let you build new machines more easily than you could with just the action on your board, and sometimes they'll let you build bigger machines than you could with just the action on your board. And a really cool thing that you can do in this game is you can upgrade machines you've already built. So while you usually start by building size 2, 3, or 4 machines, if you have uh, the upgrader component, and if you activate that, you can then make the machines bigger and make them even more enticing for other people to use, thus giving you points. The way that the activation works is also interesting. This is a worker placement game, so everybody takes turns placing out one worker, one at a time. But when you place a worker, you either put them onto a location on your board or you put them onto a power source that's on either one of your machines or on somebody else's. And the power source then activates every component around it. And that's why it can be really cool to build up some bigger and bigger machines that all of a sudden you're now getting several actions for just one worker placement. There's a good arc to the game as well, as in addition to getting more and more complex machines that can do more things with one activation, in the later rounds you're also able to use more workers and take more turns before the end of a particular round. So there's a nice ramping up from a game that's relatively basic at the start with a few decisions and it becomes a game with a whole lot of opportunities for different placements near the end. In the in-person game, these later game complex turns can sometimes lead to some analysis paralysis and some slowdown, but the board game arena implementation does a couple of nice things to help address that. One is that you can mouse over any component and get a pop-up explaining exactly what it does, something that's not always obvious, especially if it's a tile on a machine that's across the table from you in the in-person game. There's also the ability to sort machines by size or by owner, and that can, again, make it easier to see everything that's out there and whose machines you might want to use. Overall, there are quite a few things I like about Steamworks. 
for one, I like the way the game ramps up and so that you're, you have more and more complex worker placement decisions later in the game after more fins get built. You can also control what's going to be built by building it yourself or taking certain tiles so other people can't build it. This aspect of the game reminds me a bit of Lords of Waterdeep, which I quite like in the way that you can build buildings both for your use and for the use of other people, and that if you get a benefit if other people use your buildings. That kind of positive player interaction is a really nice element of Steamworks, and it's something that I think also shows up well in a couple of other Tasty Minstrel titles from around the same time, City Hall and Captains of Industry. City Hall and Captains of Industry come from a different designer, Michael R. Keller. They also feature this kind of positive interaction between players. In Captains of Industry, you're often using resources that someone else has generated, and in City Hall, you're often using an office that somebody else has auctioned and paying them for the privilege. The other tasty minstrel game from around the same time that Steamworks reminds me a bit of is Keens of Air and Steam, which has a great crossover in the steampunk theme. And while it's different as an action programming and pick up and deliver game, there's a lot of overlap with the art and with the look, even though the art for that one is done by a different artist, Josh Capel. Keens of Air and Steam is also from a different designer, Scott Alms. Both of those titles also feature a great variety of player characters and the option for asymmetric player powers, which can be quite cool. But both also have the option for fully symmetric play if you're worried about the balance between the powers. In any case, that's Steamworks. That's what I've been playing this week. I'm Andrew Buckholtz. You can find me online at BoardingGame.com or on Twitter at Andrew Buckholtz, B-U-C-H-O-L-T-Z. Thanks for listening. Hi, I'm Matt. And I'm John. And we're Friday Night Games. You can find us on all sorts of the awesome internet places, such as Instagram at Friday Night Games underscore official, Twitter at Friday Night GMS, our new Twitch stream at Friday Night GMS, and our website, FridayNight.Games, and we release a podcast every Friday, which you can find on your favorite streaming platform. All right, so today we're going to talk about what we played, but uh, we're going to change it up just slightly, so we're going to throw a little wrench in the plan on today's stream we're not going to talk about what we played we're going to talk about how we played yeah so john how what did we do what do we do for the last couple weeks here well since we've been in lockdown and i can't go to your house or else well we'll get in trouble by the authorities uh we've been uh streaming and playing games over tabletopia yeah so what what have we uh what have we played so far uh, we played a bunch of games, things that come to mind, Parks, Mind Management, Onitama, Castle Panic, New York Zoo, Love Letter. Cool, and I, and I previously played uh, Seven Souls and Gudetama. Right. You know, Tabletopia is a web-based app. It lets, lets many of us play the plethora of games they have available with other people online. Uh, it has a lot of games, and you can do a premium membership. Um, where you get bonuses, you know, like the Stonemaier games are all premium, um, and it has most almost all of their catalog on there. Yeah, some games um, that are non-Stonemaier also have like pay, and you get three players, four players. It's kind of like nice. their little way. It's like it's like half demo, half game. So it's pretty neat. It's pretty neat, and I'm sure most of your listeners have used it or tried to play with it. Um, try to play the games within their spare time. But we're going to tell you about what we hate about it. <laughs> <laughs> so we just got off. A, we just got off a stream of playing New York Zoo, John. Uh, how did you feel about that play? Uh, yeah, it was it was frustrating. So the game itself in real life only takes about half hour, forty five minutes, and this game took us about two hours to play. Um, so on Tabletopia, this game has a lot of pieces. So there's like uh, Palomino pieces. Um, you know, that you got to fit onto your board. Then you have all the animal meeples that you have to move and navigate onto your board. It just took a long time to move everything, place everything, 
and uh, it was very frustrating. Yeah, I definitely think it was it was tough with the polynomial or tetramino pieces because you have to like rotate them, and it was not easy to rotate them. If this is on maybe tabletop simulator, it'd be easier. But if I was using my hands, yeah. it would be even even simpler. So yeah, that yeah. was pretty. I don't know uh, what I don't. <laughs> I don't know what you were trying to do on my on my board, but Matt was his hand was touching something on my player board, and he made one of my pieces disappear, and we couldn't get it back. <laughs> that's not the first so time I, that's happened to me either. That's like the third yeah. time or fourth time that's happened. Uh, basically, John was moving the piece, and I think I was moving at the same time, and it just caused Tabletopia to just make the piece disappear. But it was hilarious <laughs> because I could highlight it. Remember that. So for you to yep. see the piece, I was like highlighting it using the shift key. And so you can see where you're placing your, your New York Zoo pieces. Just in case you don't know anything about New York Zoo, you're you're placing Tetramino pieces on your board and then you're placing animals onto the Tetramino pieces to score points and generally. It's a pretty fun yeah. game. <laughs> yeah, just the experience on uh, Tabletopia didn't make it as fun as the game actually is, unfortunately. Yeah, well, that's okay. <laughs> what are you going to do? <laughs> okay, so now that we've gotten that out of the way, John, what's good about it? What's good about it? Come on, there's got to be some stuff here. There's got to be some stuff you like. Actually, you know what? Uh, my computer runs it, so that's good. <laughs> yeah, John's John's running on like a Commodore 64, just so you all know. <laughs> uh, what I, what I think is really cool, there's a lot of actually really good free games on there, which um, I noticed was like a pretty like big eye-opener for me i was like there's actually like a ton of awesome games on there yeah i've seen everdell on there and all that stuff too so everdell's on there everdell's premium but the crew is free so that's awesome yeah that is such a good game i don't know how well it plays but (laughs) it's free so you don't have to actually buy it yeah there's a lot of kick a lot of kickstarter games are on there which is really cool like a lot of creators can uh throw their game up there to play test and all that stuff you know that's how you know, we played my management a couple times because of it. Yeah, and and also like during the cons, a lot of the creators will throw their games up uh, pre Kickstarter, so you could play it. That's actually how I played Gudetama. You can't. I don't think you could find it on it right now, but you can. Oh, nice. But yeah, but that's what the creators did. They let you play it, and then they kind of get rid of it later on. So it's kind of neat. Yeah. Um, I I like it because it's good for social distance distancing and specifically for me and you during this panic when we're basically told we couldn't get together unless we want to pay a fine then you know it was it was a good way to <laughs> kind of solve our streaming uh issue and, and let us stream and, and and for me it was really easy to set up it was super easy to set up i could just click a window and boom it's there and i just stick our faces in yeah and it's nice that it's uh like it runs relatively well um you know regardless of all like the technical errors of trying to navigate the board and the pieces and stuff like that um it's it's been good for like i like you said like great for our stream it's good for us to still be able to do this and connect together uh every week and now we're doing it you know two times a week which is cool um but what's nice though it's i haven't really had to buy a board game in a while i've still bought i still bought board (laughs) games yeah Me, me too. Me too. I still have a ton of board games. I actually have my pile has gotten way bigger now. There's like ten extra games just sitting there. <laughs> <laughs> like we're never getting through oh, this now. Anyways, it's cool that like other other people can jump on as well, right? And you know, it's not it cannot it doesn't it just need to be you and I. We can have like pe- viewers hop on and play a game with us, which is pretty neat. Yeah. So. Yeah, it's very cool. I mean, have... there's good things about it. I just I think I'm just frustrated by our <laughs> playthrough tonight of New York Zoo. <laughs> Hey, don't uh, let don't let one situation change your mind. I still like Tabletopia. I know the I know the things that suck about it. I rather play in person, but when push comes to shove, you know, during this pandemic and social distancing thing, it's an awesome tool to have. So I'm very thankful for it. Yeah, do what you got to do. Do what you got to do. Um, I also want to uh, bring up a point. I actually really enjoy Tabletopia. You know, I, I I have trouble with Tabletop Simulator on my on my computer. So this was the one that actually like worked and was able to navigate some games so give it a little bit of love a little bit maybe it won't won't hate us next next time we play yeah i think it also depends on the game too to be honest with you new york zoo wasn't true, true. maybe it wasn't designed for it right 
Anyway, so if you like what you hear, uh, don't forget to check us out on Instagram at Friday Night Games underscore official, Twitter at Friday Night GMS, Twitch at Friday Night GMS, and our website at FridayNight.Games. Thanks, everybody. Hi there, this is Norm from Bridge City Board Gamers Community in Saskatoon and from the Cardboard Conjecture Podcast, also here in Saskatoon. Um, And to start off my segment, I always like to go to the Bridge City Board Gamers Community Facebook page and uh, have a look to see what everybody else in the area is playing. So let's get to it. Um, a regular contributor to this stream is Lane, and Lane has played Talisman Batman Supervillains Edition, uh, Clank Legacy, Zombie Kids Evolution, Blockus, and Parks. Um, always, always some really good games. Zombie Kids Evolution. I've been hearing and seeing a lot of people talk about that, so might have to investigate a little bit more. Um, moving along, Trevor. Couple more games of Gloomhaven. First plays from my pile of shame: a Xeno Shift Onslaught, Top Gun. Oh yeah, Top Gun Strategy. I think that's that uh, uh, Prosperous Hall. That looks interesting. Gods love dinosaurs. Of course they do. And finally, I got to play Sakura Arms again, trying to keep the rules fresh until the Kickstarter arrives. Yeah, there's a lot of Kickstarters that are coming out. Um, that's a lot of really cool games. Uh, a few of them I haven't heard of, but uh, um, Gloomhaven, can't go wrong, cannot go wrong. Uh, next up, Jason, another regular contributor to this stream. Uh, Amy and I played King of Tokyo, Calico, and New York Zoo. We're finally uh, rolling on our 10 by 10 though it's admittedly a slow start so far. I blame work. Yeah, so do I. <laughs> um, King of Tokyo. Oh, always a good one. Calico. I love Calico. And uh, New York Zoo, I have the copy of that. Fun game with that whole polyomino map building, patchworky kind of thing. Awesome. Uh, next up, Hans, another contributor. Awesome. Repeats. Gotta love the repeats. Uh, Darwin's Journey, Terraforming Mars, Spirit Island, Paris, New Eden, Monasterium, Lost Ruins of Arnak. Oh, those are solid titles. Oh, got to get me some Spirit Island back to the table. Awesome. Yes. Yeah, yeah. Lost Runes of Arnak. Ryan's talked about that one a lot. Uh, very similar to the to the Dune worker placement uh, uh, um, card uh, deck building thing. Yeah, cool. Moving on. Eli. Marvel Champions and finally finished the Dream Eaters cycle for Arkham LCG. Awesome. God, he, that's a, he likes his deck building stuff. Or, I mean, uh, his... Uh, his card game, Marvel Champions, Ron and I, uh, we continue to uh, uh, put out our fight night. And um, the, uh, yeah, yeah, I, there's, there, we can't, always talking about Marvel. Awesome. I love that deck building game. Or, no, people are going to correct me and wince. Uh, love that LCG game. There we go. I got it right. It took me about three tries. Uh, moving on, Mike. Mike played Clank Legacy and Patchwork. Oh, I want to fidget. Before the pandemic hit, um, Dave, Jeff from Amazing Stories, Ryan and myself started a uh, the Clank Legacy. We got, I think Ryan said, pointed out that we got to eight games of 10. And then we got shut down. And so, yeah, I can't wait to get back to that one. Yeah. Yahoo. Um, patchwork. Yeah, I mentioned Patchwork connected to the New York Zoo. Um, kind of DNA, Uwe stuff so yeah right on um sean marvel crisis protocol i don't know that one but it's marvel so you've got my attention that's for sure um let's see let's see let's see continuing ash has played clank and queen domino one more play of clank to finish our first ever three by three challenge awesome yeah queen domino um, I've played that version. Yeah, I'm, I'm a big fan of King Domino. Keep it straightforward. Keep it simple. But Queen Domino, if you want more dimension, yeah, that's a, definitely a good one. Uh, next up is Tyler. Well, we got uh, rounding it out. Yeah, rounding it out with Tyler. 
We just finished four plays of Jaws of the Lion. Yeah, Gloomhaven. Awesome. High five. Uh, it was great. We had already played Gloomhaven and are awaiting for the pandemic to end. So, so to start Frosthaven. Yeah, yeah. I think that's, uh, that's a lot of people are talking about that same thing. So, cool. That's a lot of really fantastic games. I'm, I've got some little bit of gamer's envy going on. But I'm going to add my little two bits to this because um, uh, we have some time. And uh, this past few days has been pretty much a, um, a Norm and uh, Daniel, or as far as everybody knows, uh, Daniel's daddy and Daniel... Uh, playing some board games, and we started off, thanks to uh, Dave for texting and saying, hey, I'm making an order, who wants to jump in? And immediately the phone was, I was already texting before I could comprehend what he asked. Um, I ordered two games for the kids, and man, these, I did some good research. So the first one, uh, Ice Cool, because it's a pun, right? Penguins at high school, Ice Cool, right? Or for your French, it's uh, Ice Cool, yeah. Um, uh, so, uh, yeah, it's a, a two to four player dexterity flicking game. Uh, the, the really cool thing about this is, um, is you build the school out of the kind of nesting dolls, Russian nesting dolls, kind of box within a box idea. And as you open the game, you put it all together, do the layout, um, and pin it together. And it's basically, if you take teardrop kind of shaped uh, um, bottom weighted uh, tokens, which are the penguins, those are the objects that you're flicking like a crokinole piece. Oh, that's good. Canadians know that connection. Hey, yeah, eh? Um, so it's, yeah, you're pretty much, I mean, it's straightforward. It's so much fun because, again, I'm going to show my age here referencing the the dynamic of this penguin, bottom heavy teardrop shaped penguin. It's much like a weeble. So there's probably about 10% of the people going, oh yeah, I got that. I know that, eh? Um, so, so it's not, it's not going to be a true, you know, physics-related, straightforward flick. There's going to be some curving, some, some crazy spins going on. And man, there was some giggling, I'm telling you. Uh, Daniel was so enamored with that game. I think we played like eight or 10 games back-to-back. -back. Finally, we just... Uh, um, kind of started uh, making up our own house rules just to make things interesting um, or just because, you know, Daniel wanted to up the stakes. So, yeah, that's Ice Cool, um, uh, designed by Brian Gomez and published by uh, Brain Games. And uh, I do want to get this one out there because I have to say a huge, huge thank you to uh, the contributors of this podcast simply because of their contributions and their energy and passion for the board game. But every once in a while, <laughs> and I, I think I've spent a lot of money so far on, on everybody's recommendations, but um, recommended by Friday Night Games, that's uh, Night with the K. So, I mean, if you're a Monty Python fan, it's Friday Knigget, um Games, and uh, they recommended The Color Monster. Uh, based on the kids' book about uh, emotional regulation. And um, uh, for those people who know, uh, my son Daniel is 15 years old and he has Down syndrome. So there's a lot of uh, the dexterity stuff. He's bang on with that dex and the memory stuff. Um, so when this was suggested, uh, as far as like a, a um, developmental kind of game for children... Uh, I was all over this and so immediately ordered it and absolutely everything that they had said about this game was bang on accurate. Um, it's engaging. The The narrative you can develop, the, uh, the, ease, the ease of communication exists because of the interface of the game. And I noticed that right away how a lot of the, uh, um, the walls uh, uh, of Daniel's communication uh, opened up when we started talking about things that made him angry. And, and, and also, because it's a cooperative game, um, I as well have to contribute my emotional responses. So how it works, I, I mean, it sounds very abstract right now, but how it works is there are particular emotional zones on the board. And, and of course, it's, it's a roll and move. Don't, don't kind of scrunch your nose up yet. 
Uh, it's a roll and move for the fact that um, I think the most important thing is to activate these zones and to participate in the narrative that uh, that is 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 provided by this zone and and the zones are these emotional states and you move the color monster if you know the children's book the color monster is trying to to sort out emotions and there's a, a, another character in the story that helps the color monster sort out these emotions so um it's not a competitive game it's not a it's you know it's not a, a puzzle game it's a i would say it, it's an exploration game and you're what you're exploring is um uh emotional connectedness and and um the ability to um put to I'm, I'm having troubles putting to words the the but the game that's exactly what it is is putting to words how you're feeling when it's difficult to uh, articulate so a lot of the times we'll both build back and forth and scaffold his answers where I'll draw out you know I'll ask him why and why and 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 he'll get to explore and for me as a parent that is such a great opportunity for me to get to know, um, the, you know, the, the, the bizarre programming of my, my, my children's behavior. And I'm, I'm claiming half responsibility for that and proud of that, too, and shameful at the same time. So, yes, I could feel multiple emotions at the same time. Uh, um, so, yeah, those are, um, those are the two games. I'm just going to quickly bring up the... The details for the color monster. It's designed by Joseph Alue and Danny Gomez. I believe I pro- hopefully I pronounced that properly. And published by Devere Games. So thank you so much for those creative people and producing this game and allowing me the opportunity to connect with my child on that level. And um, that being said, as well, I'm going to close out this episode by. Once again, a huge thank you to all of the fantastic contributors uh, across this beautiful country um, who uh, once a week come together and share their thoughts on games that they've played so that everybody can um, uh, uh, um, make it easier (laughs) to go shopping and go buy some games. So uh, that being said, thank you, everybody, and thank you to you, the listeners, and uh, take care out there. Keep your stick on the ice and uh, stay safe. This has been an episode of What You Been Playing Wednesday, brought to you by the over-caffeinated people at Cardboard Conjecture. Please remember, if you like what you've heard, click on the links to take you to each contributor's channel and enjoy.